soundtrack. Welcome to the inaugural edition of On the Verge of podcast. Here, we'll explore the world of politics and policy and focus on how tech companies can navigate the politics of disruption. I'm joined today by the two founders of Verge, Josh Secker and Scott Gerber. So Josh, we're actually doing it. We've threatened for years that we'd start our own podcast, and now we're putting voice to recording. Does this mean that podcasting is officially over? You know, I've never... I've never water skied over a shark before, but I figured I would try. I think I'm jumping the shark here. Oh, baby. Well, let's get to it. Uh, we're excited. Uh, Verge has been around for eight years. We talk about navigating the politics of disruption. There's lots of politics of politics right now and lots of politics in the tech industry. So let's get to it. Um, look, we've all watched our fair share of CNN, MSNBC, and Fox over the past few days. Pundits have chewed over the election uh, almost in its entirety, but let's net it out for for our listeners or our listener, as the case may be. Um, what do you see as the uh, top three takeaways from this election? It's been quite a week, and um, there's definitely three main takeaways I've seen. And one is um, it was a great cover by the New York Post the other day. Trumpy Dumpty had a great fall. Um, the red wave never came to fruition. Most of Donald Trump's supported candidates crashed and burned, and he's going to be blamed if Georgia uh, falls in the runoff, as many expect. He's going to be blamed for losing the Senate for a second time. Third so time. third time. That's right. Third time. And um, when we talked in the green room earlier, Trumpy Dumpty definitely had the, the toughest week. But I think Kevin McCarthy is quickly coming around the bend. And he might take over Trump for a while. He's going to have a quite a headache on his hands in the House. My other two takeaways are um, the power has been pushed back to the states. If there's a split, split, uh, split Senate and House, um, gridlock's going to reign in, in D.C. And that means that um, it's up to the states to move on a wide variety of actions related to tech and outside of the tech industry with um, over 35 states, I believe, who have a trifecta, which is the same party for their state house or assembly, their Senate and their governor, um, there is an opportunity for them to move quickly. And we've seen that in the past. And finally, I think this could be polling's last stand. I wonder if people will listen to polls anymore after this past week. Um, polls have pollsters. It's a difficult business. Um, and but I think their time may be waning. So, Scott, what do you think? Anything different? I think everything different. First of all, mm -hmm. I am no fan of New York Post punny headlines, so that's number one. <laughs> uh, number two, yeah, Trump had a tough week, um, but he still remains the dominant force in the Republican Party. Uh, he, because of what the Department of Justice is doing, um, will feel the absolute need to run for president. There's no way to push him off that because it's a question of either going to jail or going to run for president. Uh, so for those who, uh, of uh, um, for those of us who think maybe 
uh, DeSantis will rise to the top, and he might. Uh, we had a lot of chatter on that on our internal Slack channels this week. The reality is Trump is a, ca- a cornered animal. Uh, he's going to fight back and fight back hard. And for him, he's got to believe that he's going to win. And if somehow DeSantis were to beat him, he would um, be on a search and destroy mission and try to smash him into smithereen. So that's, for me, the, the number one takeaway. Uh, number two, um, is Biden running? Is he too old? Well, um, not really a question for me to answer or care about because he's running. Because why? He keeps winning. Um, he won in 2020. Despite some ups and downs um, on the policy front, he was able to get um, infrastructure bill um, uh, passed, uh, gun control passed. Judges moved through the Senate at record clip. Um, and if if today we were talking about you know the Democratic failure in the midterms, uh, maybe he'd think twice about it. But to me, this is like a green light for for the Biden campaign to get started. So. Um, for me, it's like he is go, go, go uh, for 2024. Uh, and number three for me, um, it's that divided government's actually good for tech. Um, why? Because in Washington, as you rightly pointed out, it, gridlock is going to be the order of the day. Nothing's going to happen from a policy perspective. Yes, they're going to have to um, increase the debt ceiling. They're going to have to put some spending bills and continuing resolutions in place, but hard policy issues, really, really hard to see how they move over the next two years. There will be an exception or two to that. Uh, hard to see for me how that is in the tech and innovation space. Uh, I think you're absolutely right that states are going to be where the action is. And I think you got to look to California because California is the leader when it comes to uh some good policy, some tough policy, some um, you know harmful regulations. But what happens in California doesn't stay in California, moves to Boston, Austin, uh, Salt Lake, and so many other state capitals. So uh, look to the states. That's that's my takeaway number three. I agree, but I I think it could be a tale of two of two coasts where California is definitely. Um, from a tech perspective, going to have a lot of sway over the next several years. But with Ron DeSantis running for running for president, and with the the with every top elected official in Florida a Republican, I would not be surprised to see Florida balancing out the work that's being done in California. Could be, could be. All right, let's put your money where your mouth is. Who is going to be the Democratic nominee for 2024? Who's going to be the Republican nominee? Okay. Well, I mean, it's difficult enough for me to tell what's going to happen in two hours, yet alone in two years. And you could just need to check my FanDuel account for that. But for me, I see in a brutal Republican primary, Ron DeSantis overtaking Trump. I agree that Trump is going to win. I agree that it was a horrible week for him, but those are not two mutually exclusive things. Nobody's ever said that Donald Trump has had a handle on reality. But I see Ron DeSantis coming coming through from the Republicans, and I do not think Joe Biden will be coming through for the Democrats. I believe that, especially if Democrats see the writing on the wall, that Trump is not going to be the nominee, then Joe Biden's usefulness is lessened for them. 
And I see Mayor Pete coming off the rail at the end to take to take the the nomination from the Democrats. Well, if this were a parlay bet, I would absolutely take it because all of those things certainly won't happen. Uh, for my money, <laughs> I think if you uh, you come at the king, you best kill the king. Um, for me, Trump still is the dominant figure in the Republican Party. Uh, if it were a one-on-one matchup, I might. I might see your perspective that DeSantis will will dethrone him, but I don't think it will just be DeSantis versus Trump. Hogan's talking about getting in. Uh, I think if DeSantis gets in, Abbott gets in. I think Haley thinks about it. Nome thinks about it. And so it's one of those situations where uh, it's Trump versus the seven dwarves, and he he wins in that that kind of situation. Um, remember. We all thought Scott Walker would be the next big thing in the Republican Party. Uh, we all thought Jeb exclamation mark would be uh, exclamation mark would be the next big thing in the Republican Party. Um, Trump has a way of forcing people to get down in the muck with him, and when that happens, nobody looks good. Uh, but Trump has a committed set of people that absolutely love him. It's a cult of personality for those folks. And I don't see them changing, despite what Fox News and News Corp has to say. Democratic side, I'm already on record. Uh, it's going to be Joe Biden. So I think it's going to be Biden versus Trump. And in that scenario, um, I think Joe Biden comes for a second term, but we'll have to see. That's why we're recording it. We'll come back in two years. Um, we'll see. To find to right. find out that both, I'm sure we'll find out that both of us are wrong. I'm sure that's true, too. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's uh, the sugar to make the medicine go down. But the reality is we're here for the policy. Uh, we're here for the politics of disruption. So let's think about what does this election mean for the tech and innovation industry going forward? Um, this is what our one listener cares about. Um, hopefully it will mm-hmm. be uh, you know, thousands by the end of the week, but uh, we're modest in our, in our expectations. So what do you think the makeup of the new Congress means for tech and policy, Josh? You know, I think we've talked about a little bit already is that from a a federal perspective, um, not much, not, not much. in if you're a dis, if you're a disruptor, I think there's tremendous opportunity to, um, to, to build your, to build your, your business because there's going to be very little new policy or regulations. Um, and I think from a tech, you know, policy perspective, it's companies are going to have to be really putting their resources in the States because that's where things are going to change. And we've seen issues in the past. We've seen issues that have not been fixed. And especially if you look at kind of breach notification laws um, where, where tech companies have to deal with a patchwork of, you know, dozens of different laws in different states. And unfortunately for the tech industry, I think that could only get worse over the next two years. Um, I will say, I agree with everything you just said there. Uh, There's talk that the Biden administration wants to bring in um, a business person into the White House, uh, maybe to serve as the uh, next national economic director. I actually think that will happen. I think they should bring in a Republican. Um, and I would put forward um, my old boss at Cisco Systems, John Chambers, um, to do that, to serve over the course of the next year, to help our economy deal with inflation, 
to make sure that our economy remains the envy of the world and that we're creating the next generation of uh, technology and innovation um, uh, to support the jobs and growth that we need. So uh, maybe it'll be Chambers, maybe it'll be somebody else, but um, I think that's a wise move. It's a little bit moving to the center. Um, and clearly, one of, the, one of my big takeaways from the election is people want pragmatic leaders making decisions that help real people um, face real challenges. And there's no bigger challenge right now um, than the economy. We saw an uh, inflation report come out this week that showed finally some softening in inflation. Um, that's good news, but rates are still going to go higher. And, you know, Joe Biden says, oh, I think we're going to have a soft landing. I'm not so sure. I expect um, a recession and it could be pretty deep. So somebody to help our country uh, weather the storm um, and continue to build uh, the next great set of uh, products and services that people need. Definitely. All right. Well, when, we, when, you, when you talk about the economy, we've seen <laughs> and um, the rise in interest rates, we've, we're, we're starting to see some of that fallout over the last several weeks. Um, Facebook just this week announced over 11,000 layoffs. Um, what, what do you see? How, how do you see that impacting now competition in tech and specifically with internet platforms? Yeah, it's a great question. The reality is the competition landscape has changed. Um, five years ago, people talked about the fame companies, Facebook, Apple, Netflix, um, Google, um, Amazon, as you know, as as areas where uh, there were potential antitrust violations. Uh, we cannot forget that is a dynamic and competitive marketplace. And right now, due to a combination of factors, some of which ha have to do with uh, Facebook's good friends over at Apple, and some of which what happened in the dynamic marketplace with regard to TikTok, Facebook is getting its lunch eaten. Um, my kids would never go on Facebook. They are on TikTok and Snap all the time. Uh, and um, TikTok is the fastest growing social media platform uh, in the country. Uh, advertisers are moving their dollars from Facebook. And, and now we'll get into it a little bit more with, at Twitter. And they're putting in TikTok. Um, TikTok, as we know, um, uh, is a, you know, a Chinese company uh, owned by ByteDance. Uh, and um, I think you have to look at, at the competition landscape totally differently than you would look years ago. I think it makes it much less likely that we're going to see um, uh, investigations or uh, investigations will continue, but serious action. Um, and I think, you know, additional laws are remain unlikely. Yeah, I agree. I think there's, gonna, there's much less likely any, any, any action against uh, Facebook or other or others at the federal level? I think there could be on TikTok as though. Um, TikTok seems to be a uh, bipartisan issue where there is actual agreement, and um, but I do think that Facebook could face and Twitter face action at the state level, not necessarily at the federal level, but they could face action at the state level. Yeah, we'll see. There's one big exception, and this is outside of the social media space and into the crypto space. Good Lord, FTX uh, went the way of Bear Stearns this week and went out in a blaze of glory. Looks like they um, they used um, 
some of their uh, holders' money to go and spend more money on crypto and a sister organization. Um, it looked for a moment like they would get sold to Binance. Binance was doing its due diligence. They were like, too hot for us to touch. And we're seeing uh, the biggest meltdown in crypto in some time. So the question becomes, do you think there'll be no action on crypto, Josh? Or do you think we're going to actually see some bipartisan legislation to regulate the space or action from the SEC or CFPB to, to do the same? Or yeah, it, it, it was almost a, uh, a reenactment of It's a Wonderful Life where everybody ran the bank and old, old ran to the bank and old man Potter didn't have the money to give, to give to them. Nobody um, understands your reference. Josh. <laughs> Good Lord. Everybody knows, everybody knows it's a wonderful life, but um, I crypto is in crypto is in some trouble. Uh, I believe I've, I've never been a big believer in crypto. I always thought it was a, it was a house of cards ready to fall. And I think we've, we've seen the beginning of the fall. Um, we've seen, We've seen the implications of of a if you want to call it a currency and a marketplace with little regulation, with little oversight, and and the FTX debacle this week has definitely attracted the attention already. That uh, President Biden has has spoken about FTX. Um, leaders in the Democratic Senate have talked about it, and I believe that that there could be um, several investigations and a lot of pain for specifically for FTX, but it, there are definitely ramifications across the entire industry. And we've seen that by the lack of trust um, across the industry and, and the large drop, especially in Bitcoin and Ethereum and other, and other, uh, and other coin prices over the last year were dropping anywhere from 75 to 80%. Well, I agree with most of that. I think the days of the Wild West crypto markets are over. This will demonstrate that um, an unreg unreg unregulated marketplace isn't good enough, that whether it's the SEC or the F um, CFTC needs to step in and set rules of the road. I think you'll see a bipartisan effort towards that. In terms of the overall technology, um, um, in terms of the blockchain, I don't see that going away. I continue to see the tokens, you know, going up and down. Um, you know, NFTs are and Web three continue to create new market opportunities. Um, but the idea that uh, this could go on in an unregulated fashion, I think that idea is essentially dead. So this will be the end of that chapter. Um, the beginning of the next chapter of a more regulated environment will take some time. Uh, but um, the regulators always yeah. win. So we'll see that. And there, I mean, there's going to be a large responsibility on the companies that remain to for them to really portray and portray themselves as, as, as responsible adults in this situation. And for them to really highlight the controls that they have in place internally and, and their, and their commitment to ensuring that, that they're a marketplace that people can trust. No doubt. Uh, we talked about you know, regulation, which is really a, a, um, a civil matter. Um, I fully expect the Department of Justice to investigate as well, and I wouldn't be surprised if there are criminal charges to come down the pike as well. Yes, I would not like to be Sam Bankman-Fried right now. No, sir. All right. The drama that keeps us all in business, Twitter. Elon Musk is 
closed his deal, uh, taken it private, and he's handled it with the professionalism, stability, um, and has done a perfect rollout uh, so that everybody re- retains its trust in Twitter. Did, did I get anything wrong there? I think you're pretty much on on point there. I, I can't think of anything he could have done done better. Um, no, but um, Twitter's in trouble. Um, if you've seen just yesterday now, Twitter has no no chief security officer, no chief privacy officer, no chief compliance officer, and no one on their communications team. Um, I know that that we've seen stories how there's a, a lot of nervousness and there should be around who's kind of manning the store here and ensuring that they're abiding by FTC policies. And um, I, I don't see Elon Musk being long for Twitter. I think he's he, he's going to realize the mistake of his ways, cut his losses, and Twitter will live. But I see Elon Musk getting out of there selling it for pennies on the dollar. I mean, that's a $44 billion mistake. Jesus. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised either. I saw some chatter about BizStone and Jack. Maybe they want to rebuy it and reset it. Um, but one of the things that we have to recognize with all of these platforms um, is that they're not permanent, right? They are public trusts, and you have to treat the people that work in, it, in these companies well. You have to treat the users well, um, because trust once lost, it's very difficult to regain. Elon um, pointed out that um, they saw the most traffic um, ever on the site uh, through the course of the election. That's not a surprise, but the fact is advertisers are fleeing, which is a huge source of revenue for them. Uh, influencers are fleeing um, and people are looking for other places to share their thoughts. So uh, he needs to get things in order quickly. It's not like building um, a a Tesla or even building a rocket ship, which are engineering functions. This is social engineering and trust is the most important component to that. And he has done more in two weeks to squander the trust of its users and advertisers than I thought, than I thought possible. Yeah, I mean, I, there's definitely there's definitely things that needed to be done. Twitter, I don't think, has ever ever um, recorded a profit, um, and there were there were business decisions that Elon Musk needed to make. He just did not make them in the right way. All right, before uh, we're we're almost through our first episode, but before we get to our very end, any final thoughts on tech and policy that you want to leave our listener with? No, I think my mom. She, I've spoken with her enough about tech tech policy. I think she's she's got all my points down. Okay. All right. We're going to end every episode with our must, must watch, uh, must listen, uh, must see. Why don't you start us off? Uh, give us uh, one thing that our audience should be uh, paying attention to and maybe something that they should be ignoring completely. We'll call that our don't watch. Yes. I think it's our must watch and our must miss. Yeah. I like that. I like so that. our must watch. Our must watch is, uh, or much listen is for me, it's the, the Pete and Sebastian show podcast. It's two comedians, Pete Corielli and Sebastian Maniscalco, who, um, if you haven't heard of Sebastian Maniscalco, look them up on Netflix and, uh, they have a weekly podcast there where they're just two comedians 
shooting the breeze, talking about their lives, talking about how people annoy them. And um, it's a great, it's a great laugh every week. I listen to it every week as I stroll down the, the aisles of Wegmans doing my weekly, my weekly grocery shopping. That's not, that's Wegner's or Wegmans? Wegmans. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That doctor, I don't shop with Dr. Oz. He goes to Wegner's. That's where he gets gets his crudités. (laughs) My must miss Thursday night football on Amazon. I, I, I hope Amazon has has generated millions upon millions of new Amazon Prime customers over the over the last year for their multi billion dollar investment in the NFL, but the games are awful and perhaps most importantly, it's impossible to channel surf while you watch a Thursday night game on Amazon Prime. It's a must miss. I gotta say, I love Al Michaels and I, I... And Kirk Herbstreet, um, I think, uh, balances them very well. I like him much more than Chris Collinsworth, but I totally get it. Once the game sort of slows down and is boring, like how do I how do I go back and forth? Uh, so I've got a great must watch. Um, maybe not the right show for me, but it's called The Sex Lives of College Girls. Uh, it's hilarious. Uh, it's on HBO Max, coming out for season two this weekend. It's a Mindy Kaling show, uh, so it has that. Um, that sensibility that we've seen in other of her work. Um, it's a hilarious look at um, four young women um, who go to um, uh, University of Essex, which is a fictional college uh, up in Vermont. I think it's actually shot at Vassar, which turns out is the most beautiful place in the world. Um, but it's a hilarious look at uh, what young people have to go through as they enter college. So now that my young one is a uh, is only 16 months away from going to college. Um, gives me a new appreciation of it, but everybody must tune into that. Uh, my don't watch, uh, you know, anything you know, sticking on like the football um, line. Don't watch anything with Joe Buck as the commentator because, gosh, um, I, I grew up with Vin Scully. He was terrific. Joe Buck doesn't like – he doesn't make you want to relax and watch the show and listen. Um, I, I find that a hard listen. So uh, listen to old um, – old YouTubes of, of Vin telling stories um, like you're his family. That will serve you better. Anyway, that's uh, that's our first episode of On the Verge Of. Um, uh, I don't really know what this means, but smash that subscribe button. Follow us on LinkedIn. Follow us on Twitter. Um, we really appreciate uh, the opportunity to share our thoughts with you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, Please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from Verge Strategies, you can follow us on LinkedIn at Verge Strategies and on Twitter at On the Verge of. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.